I need to get one of those. Another um, a USB extender. I don't know where mine is. It's somewhere. But because I can't use my keyboard now, <laughs> not that I need to during a podcast. But oh, because you only have one US the USB. I have point? two. I have two, but one's for my mouse. Oh, and <laughs> now one is for this. Uh, so are my you, keyboard, I cannot plug in. Or you just need one of just get a wireless. Keyboard. I don't know. I don't. Nope. I don't like them. I have banged way too many keyboards on a table because they will not connect. <laughs> This is I the prefer. Apple one, though. Oh, it works flawlessly every time. But it doesn't have a 10 key. Ugh, right. <laughs> I had the because one. Because I'm, I'm an accountant. You know? <laughs> I, I had the 10 key one, and I actually sent it back and got... Well, actually, this one came with the iMac, but I had bought one for my... When I had a monitor and the laptop set up, I bought one for that, and I had the 10 key, and I sent it back, and I'm like, I'll just... I like the 10 key. I don't know. I don't know why. I think it's probably from when I was in sales. Like I worked in sales and I had to like when I was doing pricing quotes and whatnot, that was a big deal for me. So I don't know. (laughs) See, and I thought that I would, I would like having it more, but I didn't, it was just too big. And my, I was so used to typing on a smaller keyboard that it was actually disorienting for my hands because you know what I mean? You're just used to the spatial awareness of it all. It's actually when I was in I've played piano since I was like four. And when I was in high school, I had a chance to play on a Bosendorfer keyboard. And they actually have, I think it's three or four extra keys on the low end. And normally they're covered. There's a little, little door that comes down and covers them up because there's very little music that's written with those notes. There is some, but if you sit down at a keyboard, you just instinctively like spatially set yourself you know what I mean? Based on what, but when it's longer, it really messes you up. So that's why they put that door there because if you're not going to use those keys, anyway. I have no musical talent whatsoever. So I, that's, I like, I took a guitar class in high school and I quit on the first day because I'm just, yeah, it was bad. I wanted to, I really wanted to be, you know, and I can't sing it. It's horrible. I'm completely tone deaf. <laughs> so. I mean, I'll, let's, let's let's put a disclaimer in there that um, there's construction going on in my neighborhood, so if people do hear stuff, they're not super annoyed. Yes, and that's okay. Uh, they're literally blowing up blocks of concrete outside. <laughs> so. Awesome, because we picked the best possible time to record, apparently, but... That's good. That's a good way to actually get started because we have some important follow-up, which is you might be noticing that this will be the second episode this week. But normally when we publish two episodes in a week, it's because one of them is an interview episode and then Jess and I do our thing. But we actually published an episode on Wednesday, totally on me. We actually recorded it a week ago Wednesday when I was in New York. And then I had some technical difficulties. First, I forgot to record. I forgot to record the first half of my side of the podcast. So we ended up just using, I ended up just using the zoom recording for the whole thing for some weird timing reasons, because matching up a local recording and a zoom recording is pretty much a nightmare. So I just used the zoom recording, but then when I uploaded it, and this is actually good news, we had published so many episodes that we had used up all of the, the hosting space that we that we were paying for, but it did not tell me that I will not mention our host because I'm not, it's not their fault. But when you upload it, it didn't tell me that we had used up all of our storage for the entire month. So I scheduled it to be published and then found out like a day later that it never did. And the reason was is because we'd used up. So I just upped the plan and published it. So it went live yesterday. Uh, well, Wednesday, by the time you're listening to this, it will have been two days ago, but that's okay because you get, it's like having a bonus, right? It's a bonus episode. So, so that's the follow-up. That's the reason why our schedule got off. And then we, because we published it yesterday and for a couple of other reasons, we didn't record on Wednesday. So this episode, it's you, you, obviously it's not Thursday when you're listening to this. So I'll take, I'll take responsibility for that, but I don't think anyone wanted to listen to podcasts yesterday anyway. Yeah, I think although although ironically we yesterday was our largest um single day of listener downloads really? so far. So it but that happens because it grows over time and that's great. So right. we thank thank you to all of you who are listening. Um but part of the reason yesterday was Wednesday which was the day after the election and I and I, I have a very specific election related thing that I want to talk about. 
and it's not necessarily political. It's not even about the presidential race, which at the time of, there. at yeah. the time of recording, <laughs> which is roughly two o'clock on Thursday afternoon, still has not been decided. It's but like Groundhog Day. It is like something. <laughs> so anyway, so how how are you surviving, Jess? You know, I wanted to bury my head head in the sand just till it was over because the waiting is the hardest part, no matter what way it turns out. And I'm I'm not going to get into what side I'm in or any of the crazy stuff, but I need a process no matter what happens. And so it's really testing my patience. I've had some extra anxiety and that is honestly just for our listeners why I didn't want to record yesterday. I was, I was, you wouldn't have wanted to listen to me. <laughs> so I'm doing fine. I did a lot of, um, I just stopped watching and, um, my favorite show, This Is Us, uh, released, started a new episode and they released it, and it was so weird to watch a show where they're wearing masks like it's the norm. Like, it's, it wasn't the news. It was, it's a show. It was, like, it was nuts. It was part of our culture now. It's how we live. Weird. I have not watched. The, I think I explained why I haven't watched This Is Us yet, but it is definitely at the top of my wife's list of shows to watch. So we will get around to it. But I, what you're saying is that in the new season, they're wearing masks. Yeah. Yes, but it's just like a part of the show. It's not like they're making anything about it. It's just like normal life, like for us. Interesting. So yeah, it's taking place during a pandemic. You. Yeah. And I also watched For All Mankind um, on the second round of it because I wanted Marcus to watch with me. <laughs> I've been binging a, a lot of TV lately, but I've also been, it's really beautiful weather here in Arkansas. So I've also been like outside and like the day of the election, I went for a really long walk with a girlfriend. And that was like the best thing I ever could have done for my mental health. All right. So, so let's talk for a second about election. But first I want to just say this, it's been very interesting. So our children are obviously learning about civics and all that kind of stuff at school. And it's sort of perplexing to them. So they woke up. So on election night, I'm a news junkie. I do like paying attention to that kind of stuff but I actually fell asleep and I knew like there's no way we're gonna know and we didn't and I know my wife stayed up for a little bit longer I have no idea probably a couple hours longer and literally from the time I went to sleep to the time I woke up nothing new had been called so I didn't miss anything and our kids are like wait they haven't we don't know who the president's gonna be we don't, what's going this is what how what, what's gonna happen then and and you know now it's two days later what's what's gonna happen and I'm thinking it's so how quickly you know, there are so many people in this country right now who don't remember 20 years ago when the presidential election was not decided until December 12th. Okay. Yeah. No, December 12th was, was when this. So, so, so December 12th <laughs> was when Bush v. Gore was decided by the United States yeah. Supreme Court, which ended the drag, you know, dragged out recounting process in Florida and essentially the result of that meant that president Bush won the election. And so we're, you know, people are kind of freaking out that this is taking time to count ballots and do all this stuff. And it was, it's been, it's like been 48, it's been 48 hours. We literally waited over a month, 20 years ago, granted 20 years ago, this is the big difference. There was no Twitter. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that right there is probably the big, I mean, there was cable news, right? I, um, CNN was certainly yeah, a thing. Yeah, I was in high school. I mean, <laughs> it was a good fun. I, I thought, well, I thought it would be maybe quicker because the voting process was really streamlined, at least for us here. I didn't have, the first time I never, ha I didn't have a paper ballot. So it's like I went in and they, you know, cleaned off the chair and everything. They gave me a little stylus and I made all my selections. Well, then they, they gave me this piece of paper to plug in this machine. I made my selections on the screen with my stylus and, uh, then I got my paper back and then I put it in another machine and I was out. So, but mm. apparently some people still did have paper ballots. I was talking to a friend yesterday, went to a different site uh, and he had a paper ballot. So, so in there's all the mail-in ballots. So. so in Michigan, everything's paper ballots and it's, oh. it's always been paper ballots. And the, the interesting thing is now you fill in the little bubble. It's like taking a test. Right. <laughs> we, like a scantron. We apparently, we apparently have failed the test. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, you just, and it's a bigger bubble than on like a standardized test. You, but you fill in the bubble and then you stick your thing in the machine at the end and it reads your ballot and tells you that your votes have been counted. Awesome. 
But if you think about it, we've been doing that for a couple hundred years in this country and it's worked. And I think they moved to the like bubble thing after the problem in Florida in, in case someone listening to this doesn't remember, which is entirely possible because it was 20 years ago was they were trying to like discern voter intent based on, you know, the, the, the big phrase was the hanging Chad, which was literally you used to punch the hole next to the candidate. And so then the question was, what if it, what if the piece of paper didn't come out all the way? So the ballot reader couldn't tell that you voted. So human beings are looking and trying to decide like, is there a dimple? (laughs) Did it look like they tried? How far out does it have to be before you can anyway? So, so the, the fill in bubble thing is clearly much better but the but in so people aren't literally going and trying to count these things it's just you have to go through a process so many people voted absentee which is great because more people voted period and during a pandemic you know voting by mail is probably you know better when when i went to vote pretty early on tuesday morning i voted in person and when I got there, there was a line. It wasn't a super long line, but the the space, the room that they had with all the place, the booths, voting booths set up. Um, it, I mean, it's pretty crowded. Now, there weren't a lot of people in there, but if there had been, you would not have been six feet apart. I'll just say right. that. So yeah, we had a we had a six feet apart line. We went on Saturday and so we voted early and we stopped at three different places before we found one with a very little line, which was actual our actual voting site, and uh, we were in and out in ten minutes. Gotcha. So, uh, but yeah, Tuesday night I stayed up till about two or three a.m. And I don't know if you saw on my Facebook, but I kept like standing up. I felt like I was watching a football game. I kept just like standing up, <laughs> sitting down. I was like kept like tending to the fire, <laughs> like that's which is exactly what I would do watching sports. <laughs> I mean, I think I. I will say that, well, let me think how the best way to say this is. It seems as though at this point, again, midday on Thursday, that the most likely outcome, the the outcome with the greatest probability of occurring is that um, the former vice president, Joe Biden, will probably win enough electoral votes to become the next president, but that the Republicans will keep control of the Senate. And I made the argument that regardless of how you feel about politics, that that sort of an outcome is is probably actually the the best overall for balance and reason. Um, when I say reason, I mean reasoning things out as a deliberative body because um, it requires it either requires compromise or literally nothing will change. And I'm not suggesting that nothing changing is there are things that need to change. But nothing changing is better than chaos. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's probably the most likely outcome. But anything can still happen at this point, really. And the margins are very, very narrow. <laughs> that's so. true. That's true. The margins are very But now, one thing, and this is the one thing I did want to talk about from the election. So I'll sort of swerve into it. One, yeah, one, let's, let's move to California. One <laughs> thing that was not, well, do not, I lived in California. I don't suggest moving there. But we will move there from the for the conversation is so in this this was not close uh proposition 22 passed overwhelmingly in california and proposition 22 i'll just give the short version of this because i explained it and i wrote an article about it this morning when i told jess i wanted to talk about this she's like you're probably already writing something aren't you and that's true i did (laughs) I, i did i'll include a link to it but a year ago in i think september california passed a law called Assembly Bill 5. And Assembly Bill 5 basically recategorized or it redefined the test to determine whether someone is an employee or an independent contractor. Now, the the reason that was important is it was essentially geared at companies like Uber and Lyft who have drivers who are not employees. They're independent contractors. As a result, they don't have some of the protections you might have as an employee. As an employee, they don't get benefits. You don't get health insurance. You don't get vacation time. But there are other benefits to not being an employee. You have a lot more control over your workday. You don't have a boss who can say you just sit there at the airport all day, whether you get a ride or not. Like there are, it's a trade-off, right? And Assembly Bill 5 attempted to reclassify all those people as employees and all of the things that come with it. The problem is it also then affected other people 
like freelance writers, for example. And in California, you couldn't, if you were a freelance writer, you could not write more than 35 articles a year for a publication or they would have to. Now that's like for a pub. I mean, I write that. I write more than that every month. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's not a viable thing. Huh. I didn't, you know, I was completely unaware until you sent me, you know, we used to, you sent me a different article because I had, because I hadn't read it yet. <laughs> yeah. Because you hadn't written yours yet. And it was interesting for me to read about, because I, I see both sides of that issue. So basically if they were not allowed to be um, independent contractors, they would have to be like full, like benefit work, like workers with benefits and et cetera. Yeah, they would have to be hired as employees. They, well, actually, well, they even, don't have to offer benefits, right? You're right. Well, it depends on, I mean, I can't get into California's laws, but California has laws that require you to do certain things. And so all of the things that an employer would be required to do, if that's if that means by law you have to offer health care, then that would that would be true of a company. Um, and go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. It sounds like it's a when I you know after I digested it a little bit, it sounds like that's a really big win for California workers because people are as the economy has tanked, people are going more and more towards gig economy. Like if I didn't have a job, maybe I'd work for DoorDash or Uber or Lyft or something, and so it makes it that more accessible for people to actually make a living. It's our livelihood at stake here, not just about, you know, who's employing who. Yeah. And so the, my general like point was that, well, first, so you have to separate Uber, the company from Uber, the idea. What I mean by that is there are plenty of things not to like about Uber, the company. It, it, there are, there are, you know, it continues to raise the amount that it takes out the cut it takes from a ride, meaning that the drivers are over time getting paid less. I don't think that's that's bad. Like so there are plenty of things that Uber the company has a bad reputation for. But Uber the idea is like pretty incredible if you think about it. Like, hey, we're gonna build an app. You wanna drive, you wanna ride, like we're gonna make that possible. And it's it's a pretty huge, huge thing. And I think that when California passed the law, I mean, there's dynamics about the unions. I mean, you can't unionize independent contractors. And so there was that, you know, making them employees meant that they could be unionized. Um, but the reality is companies who use freelancers aren't, wouldn't automatically offer those people a job because it's, it's a completely different economy of scale, right? If you offer someone a job, there are things you have to, there are things that come with that, right? It's way right. more expensive. You, I can offer you a salary of, $45,000, but it cost me a lot more than $45,000 to hire you. And so by, but if I let you be an independent contractor and you only make 30,000 from me, but you have the flexibility to pick up another 20,000 from like, there are ways that it can actually be mutually, mutually beneficial and arbitrarily just changing the law to say, if you do this, this, and this, and this, you're now considered an employee and not an independent contractor there is a subset of people for whom that's like great because now we get the benefits except for you also just killed a viable option for a lot of people who are, who are saying, no, I want, I want, I, I understand that I don't get some of the benefits, meaning healthcare, vacation days, all of those things, but there's a bigger benefit for me, which is control over my own destiny. And I would rather have that because you know, I'm a, I'm an independent contractor. I'm a freelance writer. I write for two, two pretty major sites and, that probably wouldn't under a under assembly bill five, I would, wouldn't be able to do either of them. Right. Yeah. I've lived uh, both of those worlds and a hybrid <laughs> both of those worlds before. Actually, this is probably the first time in my life. I have not had it like a side gig. Um, I was, I wrote for a couple of different publications that are kind of like on pause right now with uh, everything going on. And I'm just happy I have a full-time job, but for me, the, that was the biggest issue. Like I really focused on building up my freelance business um, because I was really bored at my job. <laughs> so, not my not my current job. <laughs> so, uh, right. And then I was making more money than I was at my current job. You know, I was like shocked, but I couldn't cut myself loose because I still needed benefits. So that's the flip side I see of it. But I think it gives people the choice to choose. You, you want to go try to find a full-time job with benefits, great. You want to 
you want to have a freelance life and figure it out, you know, build your own plan. Great. And this gives people the freedom to do that. Right. And, you know, there are, there are plenty, this is what I said in the article. There are plenty of people for whom all they want to do is like go to their day job, clock in in the morning, do their thing and go home at the end of the day. And that's perfectly honorable. My wife, for example, is a nurse, right? She goes in, she knows she has a schedule. She has some control over her schedule, but ultimately it's up to the hospital because they have to have enough nurses at the right time to do this. So she, she, you know, we, we have to schedule our vacation around that because we don't get to, she can't just, right. We have to schedule our holidays around that. But at the same time, right. she can go in, clock in in the morning, do her job, which not to make it sound like it's not, it's, it's hard being a nurse is very hard, but when she comes home, she doesn't have to worry about any of that. Right. And she doesn't have to worry about, well, I get to go to work tomorrow that's perfectly fine, but it's not the only way and it shouldn't be the only way there's the gig economy provides people with a different kind of an opportunity where I want to work today. I want to go drive an Uber or I want to go deliver for DoorDash or I want to write an article or I want to do a thing. You get, you get a lot more control. There's more risk involved, but honestly, throughout the pandemic, as you and I both definitely know, even a job is not guaranteed. No, nothing, nothing is guaranteed. It's, everything the only thing i expect uh, is change yeah and, and the company that you and i both worked for when the pandemic started is like n- not even close to the company that it is today in terms of size meaning there are a whole lot of people who started the pandemic with a job and very many of them are probably grateful that they can at least freelance right so oh, yeah i think some people still like that got let go still freelance there so i mean it's a it's it's this has been a like incredible year of change it's been in, incredibly trying i mean there was i this will go down in history books this is what our our you know our kids kids will study it when they grow up it's nuts right <laughs> anyway. so one of the things i was thinking about is and i get i get asked this question for someone who wants to get into freelancing um, or into, you know, that gig work, that kind of thing. Um, how, you know, how do you get started? And, and I'm going to like, if you want to drive for Uber, like download the Uber driver. I mean, I don't know, but there's a process. I don't need to tell you how to do that. If you want to deliver for DoorDash, like just go ahead and do that. That's great. But if you are trying to figure out how do you use this creative ability that you have during this time to either supplement your income or, work income. <laughs> yeah. So I thought like, I'm going to, I want to talk through that for just a minute or two, just because I think there are people who, and, and, and I, maybe we can answer that question. And I will say that the, one of the first things to do is, is to let's, I'm going to use writing because that's the thing that I do. You should just start doing it. And what I mean is start with, a blog or an email newsletter or whatever, even if you don't have an audience yet, right? Because you need to show you have some experience. And it takes you a while to figure out what the heck do I want to write about? And what's my, what's my angle? Why is it? What, what am I going to offer to the conversation? It takes a while to work that out. So just start writing. (laughs) That's great. Just start writing. And, and at some point when you start to see opportunities, there are, there are great, um, you know, sites that are hiring for contributors or columnists or even part-time writers, you know, where you can pitch, pitch stories or where they're hire you to do a certain number of stories a month. But all of them are going to want to know, like, A, can you write? <laughs> do you, B, know the, the subject matter that you're going to write about? And C, like, are you interesting? Do, does, any, does anybody want to read it? And, and there's no way that they're going to be able to figure that out if you haven't if you haven't actually been doing it, right? So even even if that's like starting a blog or I'm writing on Medium or or whatever, what you said you've or done- Or LinkedIn, so you can publish yeah. on LinkedIn automatically. And then, um, can I chime in a little yeah, bit? Yeah, please do. Uh, because I had this experience too. I was like, how in the world can I be a freelance writer uh, when I have never done it before? And so, like you said, just started writing and I started applying places um, once I had, you know, a little bit of a portfolio going from like the work I did in my um, a couple of prior jobs, make a website, make at least make an online portfolio. I use journal portfolio like, use it, been using it forever. Can't even say it. Right. But it shows like I can add articles. I want to it. It has my bio. It has my resume. Like, like 
And then, then I have a whole folder of things right on my Brave bookmarks tab of just gigs, gig sites. So I can go if I if I feel like, okay, I have the bandwidth right now, I want to try to pick something up. And I'll just go and search for things that are interesting to me. Like, for example, you know, I write about sales where I work, but I also used to be a long distance runner. And a comp once you start writing, it's crazy because then other places will refer you. And then so I got an email from this place called The Run Experience, and they wanted me to write about running. They wanted a writer with a running background. Right. And that was so cool for me to write for them. So you just never know where it's going to go. And I think it gives you the now you said you want to you know figure out what you want to write about. You can write about a lot of different things, mm -hmm. and that variation was really fun for me to go write about. You know, I used to work for Travel Nurse across America, and so I'd go <laughs> I'd be writing about travel nursing, and then I'd go home at night and I'd write about running, and so that that variation was really cool for me too. But my, the key takeaway from that is have a website or an online portfolio, some place to showcase your work, because once once you start writing, even if it's not, even if it's only self-published, you, you or if it's even ghostwritten, you need to have it up, have your work out there. Yeah, and I think that I, I, when I was your editor, one of the responsibilities I had was hiring freelancers. And one of the things that was always important to me was, like I said, can they write? And, and B, are they knowledgeable about this particular topic? So oftentimes those might be the same thing. Hey, we're looking for a something, something writer and we found their work and they write about this topic and that's great. We can answer both of those questions at once. But like you said, it doesn't have to be that way necessarily. You might have had experience writing uh, as, a, as a content marketer for a specific company and so you're writing about a thing that matters to that company. That checks off the box like, great, we can see that you can write. And then do you, do you, are you knowledgeable about the particular topic area that 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 this particular publication wants you to write for? I remember interviewing a freelancer at one point, and the person had never written about it was it was going to be for marketing had never written about marketing, but that had been her day job was marketing. She never written. I mean, it wasn't her role, but she had written in in, in this case had written for a lot of magazines and other news organizations about. She was a freelance writer, so it was like yeah this you clearly check off both of those boxes. But the point is that's what someone's going to be looking for. So you've got to find a way to address both of those issues. I, I suggest, I, I like your suggestion about LinkedIn for a couple of reasons. One, it's a great platform to write on, but two, it's a great platform that the people who might be looking for freelance writers might actually be Right. finding your writing. Yeah, exactly. I would say being a freelance writer makes you really good at trivia because you can be a good writer and you can learn about anything. <laughs> so That's like, true. I've, I've written about, uh, the, I wrote about the keto diet for a long time. I actually even tried it just since I wrote about it so much. I wrote um, and it, it didn't stick for me. Uh, but I, I like, I wrote about, um, for a company called SuperVat about like, and you know, MCT gel packs and stuff like that. And it's like, it made me like super knowledgeable and that's fun for me because I think if you're not learning, you're not growing. And I just love learning about new things. So as a writer, it gives you that unique opportunity to, if you can showcase that you can write in a, like a lot of different mediums um, or a lot of different industries, it can make your job really fun. Yeah. And I think, so if step one is you should just start writing and so get a, you know, get a Squarespace website, get a blog for free, you know, whatever looks like for you, you should just start writing about things that are interesting. And that's probably a key at the beginning is write about the, write about things that are interesting to you, even though you're not at this point getting paid for it, right? So pick things that are interesting to you because then it won't hurt so much that you're not getting paid for it right now. You want to write about it anyway. And then I would suggest start looking for the publications that are about whatever's really interesting. Like if you want to write about running, runner's world is a, probably a first place to start or something like that. Shout out to the run experience. They're pretty awesome though. So I still haven't found anyone to let me write about cats yet, which is what I really would love to write about because I am truly a subject matter expert in cats. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. Isn't that basically what Facebook is for? No, cat fancy. I I'm would just... love to write. 
for cat I'm just lady. saying, that's all that anybody ever writes about on Facebook is cats or politics. Well, and I, you know, I I'm mute the... sorry, I've had a lot of cat posts lately. My cat had major surgery. <laughs> I wasn't even talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I am totally that person like that did 17 posts about their cat as he recovered, which, by the way, he is now out out back in the wild in Gen Pop. He has no more cone of shame and uh, very, very happy. Nice. So anyway. step one, start writing even for free. Do it for you. And by the way, I want to be clear about something that I just said. When I say start writing for free, what I don't mean is contribute content for free. I don't mean take those types of spec positions where they're like, oh, you'll get a byline. You can't pay the bills with a byline. So that I would say that. Now, there's an exception to that I'll get to in just a second. When I say write for free, write for free on a platform that you can, you control yourself. So get a WordPress site, get a, you know, write on Medium, you know, start a blog, get Squarespace, Wix. A lot of those things have free options. You can just, that's great. That's, that's what I mean first when I say write for free. I don't mean contribute to a reputable site that just isn't willing to pay you. Right. Unless one, I have one note on that. Go ahead. Oh, it might be the same note. Well, let me just my, the, let me finish my thought. The exception to that is if you have a purpose, right? If you can see that this is a strategic thing, because if I can get published here, it's going to help me here, right? If I can get my article published on whatever site, but you just need to be able to justify like I should get paid for my time. If I'm not going to get paid for in cash for my time, will I get enough other benefit out of it that it makes it still worth it to do that? for free. Right. Right. Um, so my note, no, that totally makes sense. And my only other, um, caveat was sometimes companies will want you to write a test article and sometimes they'll pay you and sometimes they won't. But if you're just starting out and you can't get paid for a test article, but they want like 500 words, just go ahead and do it. Even if they don't pick you, you can upload it to Amazon cloud services and you can still, you know, put it on your portfolio or something, which I have done. So, but I think the best companies do pay people for sample articles or tryout articles, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And if you're a beginner just getting into it, then you go ahead and take, take that risk and take, you know, that time for free. Well, and I would agree with you. Most of the time, if, a, if you write a test article for a place and they say, we want you to do this as a test, they're not going to publish that article. And if they are, then it would be different, right? Because my, my point is that you it should be at least as valuable to you as it is to the publication that you're writing for. So it has to be worth your time. So step one, start writing for free. Step two, as I said, is start making a list of the sites that you would want to write for because their audience is similar to whatever the thing is that you're trying to write for. So if you love to write about marketing in this and you start reading sites like PubSpot or SEMrush or all these different sites, start making a list in your mind. Like this is the kind of site I'd want to contribute to. If you write about technology and, and I I'm always reading Engadget and the verge, whatever it might be, start making a list of those things. Then start doing the research because a lot of those sites do have contributor programs, right? They do. I mean, it's now it's not always easy to find them, but most of them do have some kind of a contributor program. Um, and there are some actually, I'll, I'll link a couple of them in the show notes. There are a couple of sites that provide like lists of sites that do that and how you can submit contributions. But a lot of them will have on their out on their about page, you know, c- contributors. Right yeah, yeah. Contributors send us your pitch. Absolutely. Send a pitch. Don't send a full article, send a pitch because then you'll get here back and find out whether it's, going to be worth your while to go ahead and do that but you but i would suggest that you you know don't don't be ridiculous in your own mind and think i've never been published anywhere i'm going to just send this because i think they should publish this tech column in the wall street journal like i'm not saying it couldn't happen and i'm but what i'm suggesting is you know there are other sites that might publish your contribution a little bit easier and down the road, it's going to make it so that whatever that objective is you have of the site you want to write for, now you have like a published history. Because, And I would also suggest then once you have something published somewhere, create a free muckrack profile because it will actually aggregate all of your published things so that anybody who um, 
is wants to see what you've written can just go to that and, and it automatically has a portfolio of everything that you've written. So. What? No, okay. So I've been, I mentioned journal portfolio, which I determine which articles I want to be on there. So Muckrack has the ability to automatically pull anything you've published. So, okay. So Muckrack is, is a tool that PR people use to find journalists who write about whatever the thing that PR people are trying to pitch. <laughs> so they have this database of journalists or writers. And as a journalist or a quote writer, you can create a profile for yourself and then it will um, automatically pull in all of the content that you are, you know, you might, you can link a couple of them and then essentially, I don't, I, I guess I've never looked into this. Somebody who's listening to this might know, but it, it essentially just pings, right? Anytime Jason Ayton has an article at Inc or a business insider or wherever it would be, it just pulls it into there. So if you go to my, you know, I think it's muckrack.com slash Jason Ayton, it'll show you my headshot and where I write and all of my most recent articles. And so, so the purpose of it is a PR person could go and see, Oh, here's eight things that this guy wrote about recently. Uh, he, I'm going to pitch him on this other thing. That's totally not related, but I'm going to find a way to try to make it related, which is a real thing that happens every single day. It sounds like answering horrors sometimes. Yes. Which is an, <laughs> which is another PR type connection point. But I guess my point is if once you start writing for a site, creating a muckrack pro profile, even though the, the real purpose of it might be for PR people. It's a great way to have all of the stuff that you're writing in one place so that if, if I wanted to, you know, pitch myself as a writer for a publication, I could easily just be like, here's my muckrack and they could see all the articles I'd written and, and at all the sites that I've written about instead of having to send them like six different author pages. Right. Yeah. I usually just send, you know, people like, publications will ask for oh send us a few relevant articles and i'll just send them my portfolio and like read what you want but then i'll re or depending on what kind of industry it is i'll reorganize my portfolio so the most relevant articles show up first uh, because i just because i've written about so many different things so remarkably I, I, i'm still not good at oh my last final tip on that so okay let's recap step one start writing step two um Get a website, right? Well, or a portfolio. I mean, well, the second thing was start making a list of the sites. But yes, I guess technically step two is find somewhere to be writing. But yeah, so step one was start writing, even if it's for free on your own platform. Then step two is start making a list of publications you'd like to write for, right? And then step three is start pitching start the pitching. ones that make the most sense. And step four is once you start making money, make sure you put 25% of it away for your taxes. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's a good point. So, <laughs> so at least, yes. And I would say, so that's a good step four. this step. I don't know where it fits. However, it's probably somewhere around three and four, but I would then also suggest um, have a process in place so that you don't get to a point where you're so busy that you can't keep up because the last thing you want, what I mean by that is can't keep up with your own process. The last thing you want is to have people expecting content or work from you and, and you can't deliver. And suddenly you've sort of burned that bridge before you really got started. Oh, that's a real thing. It can be kind of feast or famine because they'd be like, Oh man, I have bandwidth right now. I can take in all this stuff. And I got to a point one time where I had a full-time job and I had, I was writing for three other different companies and I almost like, because I just kept saying yes. And I freaked out and I bought on Amazon a calendar that I put on my bedroom, my closet door, <laughs> like when every article is due. So the first thing I saw in the morning was, okay, this needs to be sent in today. This needs to be sent in today. And you have to be able to be comfortable working with different systems. One place uses Trello, one place uses Asana, something else uses Basecamp. So you have to really be super flexible and open to change and working with a lot of different systems. Yeah. And, you know, so I just just checked just now. And last month, my column at Inc., I wrote 48 articles, for 48 articles in what there was 31 days in October. So you can do the math. That's more than one a day. <laughs> and so 
there's no way for me to, to maintain that. Now it's, it is a full-time, that's what I do full-time, but every single one of those is here's a thing that's valuable to a reader. I need to understand the thing. I need to find a reason that it matters to this reader. And then I have to find a way to make a connection to say like, here's, here's why this is interesting to you. And And that takes time, right? Even when you have a routine, it takes time and it can be difficult, but you have to come up with that sort of a routine. I Sometimes I'll write an article and from the moment I, maybe I hear about, uh, uh, I wrote an article last month about how Apple made a change to AppleCare. So if you pay the monthly fee for AppleCare, Apple will now replace let's say your screen because of accidental damage twice every year. Okay. It used to be they would do it twice period. You got two years, two times they'd fix the screen. Now, if you're paying the nine 99 or whatever it is a month, seven 99, I don't know. They'll do that twice every calendar year. That's a big deal. Awesome. I, I, so I wrote about it from the moment I found out about it to the moment I published what's well, all the moments I, I didn't publish till the next day, but the moment I wrote the article probably was, an hour and 15 minutes, right? That it was pretty fast because it was pretty straightforward. Here's the thing that happened and here's why this is good news for you. I published an article two days ago, maybe it was yesterday, which was the 10 best iOS 14 apps. Oh, I need to read that. For your, yeah, absolutely you do. <laughs> Everybody does, please. Now, um, for your iPhone 12. And that one took me three weeks. Because yeah, I'm we'll researching. Link that in the show notes. I will. That's awesome. That sounds really awesome. I really, really want to read it. <laughs> and <laughs> and so, I'm sure my daughter does too. <laughs> there you go. And so I wanted to, I want, I, you know, I had to research each of the apps. I mean, I researched probably, well, a lot, 40 apps that I thought were contenders. I had to narrow them down. Once I made my list, I had to have screenshots so that you could get a sense of the. the so you wrote a buyer's guide. Except for they're not like you should buy this instead of this. It's like you should have all of these things. So, and so anyway, um, but that article took me three weeks because there was a lot more involved in it. Right. So I had, the point is I had to have a process to get through all of the 48 articles in a month. Doesn't just, and that's actually a little bit much for me. (laughs) I'm usually like 35 to 40. So I feel like we need to make a paid course about how to become a freelance writer since we both Apparently know a lot about it. If if anybody wants to pay me to teach them how to be a freelance writer, I don't know what I can tell you. <laughs> because I will say this, you should do those things that we just described. And that was not like, uh, Jess, I think we'll agree. I, neither of us sat down and thought through this, this ahead of time. No, we're just sharing. Exactly what we, we yeah, we're just sharing this information from our experience. So I think someone could, we could refine that. But what I will say is, somewhere between writing stuff on your own for free because it's interesting to you and finding a place that will pay you to write. The thing that is very difficult to account for is there's a lot of luck involved. There just honestly is a lot of luck involved. So you can increase the chances that you might be lucky in a lot of ways, building relationships. That's a big one. If you know people who are already either contributing somewhere or even better are an editor or something like that, that that can help you get a foot in. If you have been published somewhere else that's high profile, that can help you get in. But the point is, at some point, there's some luck involved. You can't teach someone to get lucky. Right. That was my very first entrance into freelance writing as a copywriter. I knew someone that needed someone to copyright articles, and that was how I started. Right. And you can't teach someone to be lucky. But what you can do is prepare so that when you when you do come across an opportunity, you're ready. If you it doesn't matter if you have a great opportunity to pitch a great publication, if you haven't already done those other things, if you don't have a portfolio, if you haven't been writing on a topic, if you don't know if you haven't researched, like you'll miss that opportunity. You will have given up on the luck that you just had dropped in front of you. Well, I know we didn't plan to talk about that, but it was really cool to hear your experience and to share a little bit of mine. Uh, do you still want to talk a little bit about Apple events? Yeah, so I think we should talk about it. I just So let me just back up very, very briefly, just because somebody will probably say something to me later if we don't clarify this. Proposition 22 in California, just to be clear, didn't actually do anything to help anyone other than Uber and Lyft drivers, right? So this was a specific proposition that exempted app-based delivery people from Assembly Bill 5, 
The good news is, and this is kind of what I wrote this morning, is hopefully it will spur a bigger conversation and will lead to bigger changes in both other industries and in other states. Because I think that we probably do need some sort of a third option, right? Right now your option is you can be a freelancer or you can be an employee. But if you're freelancing full time, we might need to come up with something that gives those people the opportunity to take advantage of whether that's a company like Uber offering healthcare group, you know, that the drivers can choose to buy into where they can't get those because they fall in between. So that was, I just wanted to put a button on the end of that conversation. So, so the, so the other thing that happened on Tuesday, no, this happened on Monday this week. So right before the election is Apple announced that next week they are having another, another one, another Apple event. <laughs> I, it's, I'm good with that because I can't get enough of them. That's totally fine. But this one, there's a couple things that are interesting about it that I'm still kind of working through in my brain. They call it, they're calling it one more thing. I guess it's appropriate because this will be the third in a row. <laughs> but um, yesterday they actually sent the invitation. So on Monday they sent the invitation to media people. Yesterday they sent the same invitation to their developers. That doesn't usually happen, by the way, for these type of events. What that confirms for me is that there's really no question that what they will be doing is one, announcing or shipping Big Sur, which is the next version of Mac OS, and two, ship, or, you know, announcing the first Apple Silicon powered Macs. Specifically, the rumors are that it will be three different laptops. Wow. Yeah. So now are you going to buy a new? Aren't you glad you didn't buy a new laptop yet? Yeah, I'm I'm still rocking this 2015. <laughs> I, I, this is this one's it's gonna be my longest lasting computer ever. Well, and Macs do last a long time. We have a I think I've said before we have a 2013 that we're still using for one of our kids for school, and it and it honestly it works really well. But I remember my first Mac lap, Mac laptop was like that huge white one. Uh, an, uh, not, uh, not huge. An iBook. Yes, it was an iBook, and I traveled to Memphis to get it because I could not get it anywhere else unless I wanted to have it shipped, and I just wanted it so bad. Nice. <laughs> well, so we, the funny thing about it is, and I, I haven't mentioned, I didn't, I don't think I told you this, but when I, when I was in New York, this was not why I went to New York. It was just convenient. I wanted to have the screen replaced on my wife's. Well, it's, it's, it wasn't my wife's. It was my iPhone 11 Pro. But because I upgraded to the 12 Pro, I wanted to give my iPhone 11 Pro to my wife because she was still rocking a 10R. But I had a big giant gouge in the middle of it, so I wanted to have the screen replaced, and the Apple Store here couldn't do it for like two weeks, whatever. But But the Apple Store in Grand Central Terminal, right by the office, was able to take care of it for me. And while I'm sitting there, the guy plugs it in and he's doing the stuff that they do. And he was using at the Genius Bar, right, in the Apple Store, a 2017 MacBook Air, just basically just like yours. So the funny thing to me is like, clearly Apple laptops last a long time if the tech guys are still using three, four-year-old versions. Right. <laughs> you don't have to have the newest thing. But, but you like it, to have the newest thing. Uh, <laughs> I do like the newest thing. And I think it's interesting. And the reason I think it's interesting, and I'll just do this real quickly. And then I'll ask my question. The So I have a, in addition to an iMac and a, a MacBook Pro, I have a 2018 iPad Pro. And I love it. I really do. If for, I use it for writing. Most of the time when I write, I use that device. It's compact. It's great for all the things you would do with an iPad. And it is faster than any Mac I've ever owned, except for this this iMac, this brand new iMac that's sitting on my desk right now. And it's a three year, two, you know, two year old model. I don't even have the most recent version. So that one has an A12. The, the new Macs will be sporting an A14 version, probably souped up, which is what the new iPad Airs have. And the iPad Air is is faster than any Mac, almost any Mac laptop. So when they put that chip in an, in a laptop and it no longer is dependent on running off a battery, because obviously you don't use your iPad plug, like the processor has to be designed to run off a battery, right? 
but that's not true in a laptop. Yes, they run off batteries, but they also are plugged in a lot of the time and the batteries are a lot bigger. So when you take that processor, you put it in a, in a device that is not you know, constrained by power and is also not constrained by temperature because that's the other thing that limits the performance in an iPad is temperature. I, like in my mind, I wouldn't be surprised if what we see next week is a brand new MacBook Air and a brand new MacBook Pro that is faster than anything that Apple has built other than maybe the Mac Pro. Like in, in having that in a thin light laptop to me is just I think that that's insane. That's pretty exciting. I'm not going to lie. Like, but how much is it going to cost? I mean, here's the thing. Apple tends to try and keep its, its machines at certain price points. Now they sometimes will slowly, you know, drift, but you know, when Apple revises the MacBook air, for example, the replacement model slots in at the same price usually, right? That's usually how it works. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them come in and, and, and they find a way to make them be the same price. And here's why. They won't be buying these chips from Intel anymore. They will be making them themselves. So they don't have to pay that premium to Intel to buy a chip to stick in their own computer. And maybe more importantly, they will now be making all you know the entire system themselves. So they will be better integrated. So you don't have to build parts that integrate with other parts and that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I, w- I would imagine that they'll be pretty much the same price. Are we talking like days long battery life? So that's interesting. I mean, the we don't know, but I would not be surprised if right now I think they say that a MacBook Air is 10 hours. I'll have to look. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we if they tell us like these get 18 hours of battery life. Right. I still, on my 2015, I don't have a lot of battery issues. And sometimes, you know, like for example, this morning, I was just tired of being around my fiance. We were snipping at each other and I was like, I'm taking my computer to the bedroom. Like, <laughs> you know? And I'll work, some days I'll work all day in there. And some days I'll work half a day out here. Some days I'll work all day out here. When I say out here, I know you guys can't see me, but Jason can tell I'm in my regular office spot. Um, you notice that Marcus is not here. I told him he could not come in here. He wears his slippers all day, and I told him he could not come shuffling in here. <laughs> the He's like, no, you won't hear it. I'm like, yes, we will. <laughs> so, we hear uh, everything. I know. But my my computer has died on me maybe twice. And I, but then again, whenever I take a break or I do something, I put it on the charger because I know that I'm going to need the battery. But I feel like... It, I mean, this computer has been, I carried it around my back, especially when I was freelancing so much, I'd carry it around everywhere, like in my backpack, I've left it in my car in the cold, in the heat, and it's just a champ. So I can only imagine what the new computers, what the new laptops are going to be like, especially, I'm really, it's really appealing to me that it's a really thin laptop too, because I like the portability factor as someone who works from home. If I want to get out of here, if that's ever a thing where I can do that on a regular occasion. That I can just like throw it in my, like even in my purse, because I carry a big purse, uh, is is pretty exciting. I would I would and I would bet I wouldn't have to worry about packing a charger too because the chargers are kind of bulky. Yeah. So if you think about it, there's really two things that could well one of two things could happen. You could have a computer, a, a laptop. Let's take the MacBook Air for example. You could have a MacBook Air that's essentially equivalent in power to what it is now, or maybe a little bit more powerful, right, faster, but gets the exact same battery life. No, I'm sorry. Let me say that differently. I- equivalent in power to right now, but gets twice as much. I just checked in the MacBook Air. Get, the current version gets 11 hours of battery life is what they say. So you can imagine that you get a computer that's, as powerful or a little bit more powerful, but gets 18 hours of battery life. Okay. So that's one option. The other option is they could build a computer that gets the exact same battery life, but it's like 50% faster. Right. And I'm making up the 50% margin, but my point is the power, the perform, what they call performance per, per watt could mean either of those things. They could decide to make the same, the, the device more powerful at the same battery life or make it, 
you know, the same level of p- performance, but extend the battery life. And I'll Can we have both? I want both. Well, I think, you, <laughs> I think that that's what's interesting about this is I think that we will get some degree of both. I think we'll get more powerful and better battery life. Um, I don't know where Apple will come down to that. But my ideal scenario is I, I love my MacBook Pro. I really do. But I would rather have a MacBook Air. A MacBook Air is lighter. It's thinner. But the thing that holds me back, other than the fact that I can get 32 gigs of RAM in this computer, excuse me, um, other than the fact that I can get 32 gigs of RAM, is that my MacBook Pro, is it's just more powerful than the MacBook Air. Right. And That's I, why every time I was shopping, I was looking at Pros because and, I know they're powerful. And for me, I use my 13-inch MacBook Pro it, until I had this iMac. It was my main machine for editing video, editing podcasts, design work, all of that stuff. And it was powerful enough to do all those things. Um, I, but I, so I couldn't have a MacBook Air because the MacBook Air would have been great for just writing and all that kind of stuff, but it wouldn't have handled the other stuff. So to be able to get them, I would switch to the MacBook Air if it was, if they bring out one with Apple Silicon that's as powerful as this MacBook Pro. You know what? I'll probably buy one. Uh, I, I've, I've kind of sat on this fence for so long and, uh, you know, I don't know if you know that, like I founded this helped, I was on the founding team of a startup in, uh, 2015 and I recently, uh, sold all my shares. So I'm like, I deserve a present for that. And <laughs> I mean, I've allocated everything that's going to taxes, going to buying a new home. I had to like you know, dig into that to save my cat's life, but I'm ready. I'm like, I need to buy myself a present for it. Cause that was like a few years of like 12 hour days. I deserve a new computer. This is actually the computer I had from that job. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I think... traded them a ping pong table for a MacBook air. Okay. So the a good deal, I think that would make, yeah. So the rumor the, the latest rumor, this comes from Bloomberg, Mark Gurman is suggesting that they will introduce a new MacBook Air, a new 13-inch MacBook Pro, and a new 16-inch MacBook Pro next week. And the 13-inch MacBook Pro might actually be a 14-inch MacBook Pro, possibly. So it, it, there's a very good chance that that's what could happen. If it does, I would say that there's a 60% chance that I would buy a, a new MacBook Air. And you, you know, I'll be texting you to ask which one I should buy. <laughs> yes. Probably for me, the air, because I don't do a lot of like editing and things like that. I mostly do writing and working in Google Docs and whatever, but I like all the fun stuff and fun apps. And I can't, I had to delete a lot of things that I liked using on my computer. For example, I played Sims on my computer because I found it on Best Buy for like five bucks for a digital download. And I just like during the pandemic, I just wanted to play an old game that I liked, you know, but I had to um, delete the app because it took up so much. I stopped playing it and then I had to delete the app because it took up so much space on my computer. And that was part of what was causing it to perform so poorly. So, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty much convinced myself now to actually pull the trigger on one of these new ones. So we will definitely, it's next Tuesday at one o'clock Eastern time, 10 o'clock Pacific time. I think that that's right. Yes. 12 o'clock central Central time. time. Um, So we'll definitely talk about that next week. Also, just as a final note, uh, if you're listening to this, it's, well, this podcast that you're listening to right now drops on Friday. So if you're listening the day it comes out, today will also be the day that this morning Apple is taking pre-orders for the iPhone 12 mini and the iPhone 12 Pro Max. So we're getting the la- and the HomePod mini. So that'll be interesting to see that those will, those pre-orders will start, which means what that essentially means is that in the next couple of days, we'll start to see the reviews coming out on YouTube about what those really, how big it is, how the cameras work. So I'm very interested to see at the same time as the new Macs are coming, I think that the iPhone 12 Pro Max is going to be the most interesting um, if you care really about the cameras. And I think the iPhone 12 mini is going to be very interesting for people who just want a fully featured brand new 5G iPhone, but like tiny. So Right. I might pull the trigger this weekend just because football's over and volleyball will be over and we actually don't have like a bunch of sports stuff this weekend. So we might 
find time to go to the store because I mean I'm all about online ordering but when it comes to a phone I need to be in the store and mess with the devices and right. see for myself so all right well that's a good place to leave it um yeah this has been a fun bonus episode it's not really a bonus episode for jess and i because it's the only one we recorded this week but for those of you who are listening it's a bonus episode and i i i will leave with this i i i put out a piece on tuesday on election day suggesting that if you would like to survive this election you should stay off social media and i will just repeat that that it's probably a good idea not to continuously check Twitter and Facebook, because you might find out some things about people that you like that you might not like. <laughs> you might find a lot of the people that you really like have very different views than you. And so for the next couple of days, just stay off. Yeah. I, have a, I mean, I have friends that are on the complete opposite side for me, and I tried not to let that affect my friendship and relationships with them. But it's, it's a trying time. And I try to judge. Here's here's my piece on that. Too long. Didn't read. Be kind. Yeah. And we will get through this. It may not seem like it. it genuinely for some people doesn't seem like it. We will. It will be okay. We've made it through this this much as a country. We've and we've been through worse as a country. Um, we really will get through this. So 